Hello and welcome to another episode of the Prop Swap Podcast. We are your hosts, Ian Epstein. And Luke Pergandy. And we are also the founders of PropSwap, the first marketplace to buy and sell sports bets. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We have another great episode for you. Luke and I will go over our favorite stake or swap picks. But first, we sit down with ESPN's Doug Kazarian. He's the former host of SportsCenter and current host of the show Daily Wager. We ask him about his start in broadcasting, how he helped usher in sports betting on the worldwide leader of sports, and his famous NFL draft prop that got some headlines back in 2021. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. All right, we are joined by Doug Kazarian, ESPN sports betting analyst and host of the TV show Daily Wager. Doug, thanks for joining us today. Good to be with you guys. There's the old famous Cheers episode where it's the final Jeopardy with Cliff Clavin. It's three people who've never been in my kitchen. Well, two people that have been in my kitchen right here. Too bad we're not all hanging out, uh, throwing some beers back. But it's good to get good on the podcast, guys. Congratulations on your launch as well. Thank you. Thank, thank, thanks for joining us. Um, so you joined ESPN back in 2012. But prior to that, how did you get your start in, in broadcasting? So it really goes back to like high school days, to be honest. I always wanted to be in journalism of some sort. And, you know, like any sports fan as a kid, you kind of think about Sports Center and stuff like that. But basically, I was doing print journalism for so long. Uh, it was my student newspaper, you know, gradually becoming sports editor my senior year of high school. But I also wrote for the LA Daily News. So I was grew up in Los Angeles, and the print edition in the Valley is very high school driven. So I was what's called a stringer. So I basically, during the week, take phone calls of high school coaches in baseball or whatever, calling in a score, and then you'd write like a little paragraph and put it in what's called the agate page, which is the scoreboard page. If you open it up, it's all the box scores and then all the high school little summaries. And then on weekends, I could actually go, when I wasn't busy, could go write a sports story, like a feature and things like that. And they actually paid me, believe it or not, back in the day. So I was like, I had some bylines uh, in high school in the LA Daily News, which is crazy to think about. So I, I, I got sort of interested. And then as in college, I just kind of knew I wanted to be on air of some sort radio or still had that sports center sort of dream. So I basically, even though I was an econ major, so I got basically just summer internships and each one led into the other one and basically realized that if I was going to go be a local sports guy, I had to start out in a small town. And so my last summer before my senior year, I said, if I'm going to go to a small town, might as well go to a college town. And so I went to Columbia, Missouri, which is where the uh, Mizzou is. And just worked for free, got an, you know credits for school on a summer internship. But then I basically was able to get a demo tape, which is they're called resume reels because that's essentially your resume in the video world. And was able to send that out from college and got my first job after that. And it's very similar to minor league baseball, just going from single A, double A, triple A. And not to put some markets down, but it's just basically how it works and the pay is commensurate with that. And the, it's about uh, how many TVs are in your in your area. So New York is number one, L.A. two, San Fran, I think three or maybe Houston. So basically you start out in market 150 and go to like 100 and you used to keep climbing. Well, in 05, I moved to Vegas because I got a job there. So I was working at the local ABC there. And that's where everything sort of changed with the betting background. I was into betting, but not like, you know, I started there. So eventually you realize that sports betting in Las Vegas is like the home team, right? So now there's the Golden Knights, the Raiders. Back then there wasn't there. 
So it would be like it being in Portland or maybe San Antonio is a better example where there's only the Spurs. There's no other sports in the offseason. There's no, it's not like a three sport town like the Cowboys or more than that. So basically every day I tried to do a betting story and, and then there was UFC started to blossom as well. But for the most part, I was doing a bunch of betting content and key factor is I wasn't able to always get a photographer. This is like a little bit in the weeds of local sports, but you're so low on the totem pole, you don't have the resources. So you can't just go cover a story unless that you have to like really pull some strings and try to get a photographer. Most stations do. So I was like, well, this is local content that I don't have to get, you know, photographer. I just, you know, use stuff. So I actually had pro bettors. I had odds makers, some type stop by the station. I would do interviews there and like the the lobby and things like that. So I was able to build sportscast and content that was fresh and, and applicable to the local audience. And then gradually I became more and more into it. And then I did my own radio show with a couple guys from the Las Vegas Review Journal and then just sort of blossomed in that space. But I was always just this regular conventional sports guy that happened to be in Vegas. And then I got the job in uh, ESPN in 2012. So I had this betting sort of local flavor and then came up through the ranks of conventionally of, of sports broadcasting. Where was college? I went to Brown. And even though I had this like broadcasting sort of aspirations, I didn't think it was that imperative. I had to go to, you know, broadcasting school or whatever. And obviously the guys and girls who went to Syracuse and Missouri and, you know, some of the other J schools had some form of an advantage, but I felt like I could get some experience with summer internships and also maybe some campus radio, which I ended up doing a FM radio station and did some sports updates for what's called WBRU. It's a very popular station for a lot of Brown products and really Providence College. Some other people have gotten into broadcasting, like a lot of uh, VJs and things like that. But, um, you know, I was just like, well, I want to just get a regular liberal arts education or whatever. So I thought about doing the J school thing and even USC as well, but I felt I could do it and obviously it worked out well. But um, the, the, I talk to people all the time, like college students, that like, you don't have to be like the main anchor of your campus station. Like you can go, you can be doing other stuff and then just get into it organically. Um, so you were you, you were in Vegas working uh, as a as a news anchor uh, for for one of the local uh, affiliates uh, as well as doing ESPN radio. But what people may not realize is that local ESPN radio stations are not re- usually owned by ESPN, right? They're they're locally owned but by a company, right? right? So um, it's not that kind of direct pipeline to go from a local ESPN radio to to Bristol. So how did that opportunity at ESPN present itself? No, that's a great point, Ian. So basically, and just a little background, sometimes they're called O&Os, owned and operated. So top like 10 to 20 markets will have O&Os, like the New York in Manhattan is an O&O. And you'll see at the end of the newscast, they'll have that little white, sometimes like hair and makeup provided by clothing, provided by, and they'll be like owned and operated. But then there's other companies that may own an ABC. Like I worked for Journal Broadcast Group. They owned an ABC in Vegas, which is where I worked, uh, an NBC in Palm Springs, a place in an NBC in Milwaukee. So they'll own just regular companies. And so similarly, there was uh, Lotus Broadcasting in Las Vegas that owned the ESPN affiliate. And a lot of these contracts are, you know, like let's just say six hours a day, you have to run national programming. So like Mike and Mike, you had to run. And then maybe you had a two-hour window, and then the, the next two-hour window, you had to run like Van Pelt and Tarico or whatever that show was at the time. So they had to fill airtime. So what I did is we launched a show at midnight on like a random station, KDON, and then we built a, like a podcast product. And then ESPN 1100 or Lotus Broadcasting bought us and put us drive time, which coincidentally is the same exact hour that Daily Wager's on. 
Um, so we basically just did a show for betting leading into when games started out here at 4 p.m., which is 7 p.m. Eastern. So to your point, coming full circle, I was doing both jobs. And then at the time, my agent, we had, yes, we have agents in this world, but they're basically headhunters 90% of the time. And what happens is they have communication with some bigger companies like ESPN or Fox or and then even some of the regional cables. Like now it's become Bally's, but then there's Fox Sports and things like that. That just don't want to like put a job posting on the internet and and have like a million. They have headhunters that do that, so they're mm-hmm. agents. And what they have is they have a good relationship with these what's called a talent office or their HR department or whatever you want to call it. So there's two intermediaries basically say, hey, we're looking for people. Do you have anyone whose contract might be coming up or whatever? They so well, my agent we decided after like five years in Vegas, I wasn't going to leave because like by that time Mayweather was getting huge boxing in general was getting bigger. UFC was getting bigger. And then this betting and I was happy. I was the main guy during the week doing sports and doing my, this radio show we were launching. So there was no desire for me to leave and go maybe be in a higher market. Like I talked about earlier or go to like San Diego and be like a number three guy. I just, I had different aspirations. Like if I ended up doing that, I was happy, but I was so happy in Vegas at the time doing other stuff. And I had good stability with my job and all these other things. So I just was good where I was, and I thought the betting thing was growing. So what I did is if I had to travel somewhere, he, my agent would maybe line up some informal meetings. And so I'd been to New York, and I'd met with informally with like SNY and stuff like that. Hey, I'm in town, or I was going to Brown or Providence for a reunion or whatever. So I actually ended up going to New York for a wedding. One of my uh, best friends from college was getting married. I was a groomsman, so I went like a couple days early because the jet lag and all that. So I told my agent on like Monday, he's like, hey, so what are you getting there? I'm like, oh, probably Thursday afternoon, but I can go early, you know, whatever. And he texted me like Wednesday and he's like, hey, can you get to Bristol by Friday morning? I can do two meetings at 9 and 9.30 back to back. I go, absolutely. So Thursday, I got dinner with my college roommate, all that stuff, then rented a car on my own, (laughs) drove down to Bristol, stayed in the hotel that's no longer there, and then just met with a couple people. And it was great. It was cool. It was very informal. It wasn't like, you know, they were. They even made, wanted to make sure I knew that. I was like, yeah, it was like an hour 40 drive. It was totally easy. Um, and uh, on the drive back, my agent called. He's like, hey, they really liked you, whatever. Nothing, think much of it. But looking back, like as I was talking to the one guy, he, he was saying like, when you come back, he'd already decided he wanted to bring me back for a formal interview. Because at the time, I didn't know that. But they were expanding, and they had already expanded to, I think, 16 hours of live sports center a day. So what? Because ha- 2012 things were changing, right? So people, TV companies hadn't figured it out. Obviously, they had their websites were big, and they were doing video, but we weren't quite hadn't figured out the rhythm in the in the media world. So they just thought more sports center live, and then there'll be more eyeballs and people because everything was immediate. You know, everything was social media was growing. So they expanded their roster, so to speak. So they needed more anchors. So I actually came back, formal interview, all that two weeks later. Um, did the whole, they call it like car wash, I think is one of the terms. You just go through and meet like a million people. Did an audition on set uh, for like, you know, 15 minutes or so. And I, I was able to prepare the scripts ahead of time. About an hour, hour and a half to do that. Things like that. And then I, it went well. I mean, I thought it went, I actually thought I bombed. <laughs> and <laughs> I was later told it went really you well. You're supposed to be nervous. This is not supposed to be like your best show. Um, they realize that like you're either jet lag, this is unfamiliar content, you're not used to the you know, camera, whatever. You're, you're supposed to be nervous. And so, um, and there was crazy stuff going on. So I was actually had like two cancellations during my list of seven or eight. So I just thought they were like ditching me or whatever. But like one guy had a family emergency, the other, you know, it was like as I found out later, because I ended up 
getting to know these people later on that I had never met at the time that there was like a legit reason that I was like put in the lobby for half an hour between meetings. So I'm texting my agent like, I don't think it's going well. Yeah, they're jerking me around. So, well, it wasn't that I was like, something's up. Like they're just like leaving me hanging. But you know, it's, but here's the other thing, as you guys know, because the betting space is the same. It's a seven day a week work week. So there's really no downtime. It's just crazier times like football or Super Bowl weekend. But there's really like TV's on 24 hours a day. And they have to come up with content in the offseason. So, yes, people take vacations. Up, but there's no, like, weekend where you can just take work home with you and get caught up. It's just every day. And then you're a behemoth like ESPN. You're putting out fires a lot of the time and things like that. So I didn't know that at the time. But um, sometimes you forget that. So I ended up getting the job a couple weeks later. Uh, went, you know, obviously the audition and everything went great. But I, but I found out later, like, the betting thing was part of it. Uh, twofold. When I remember when I went in my – like, I think I was getting lunch with one of the people. And they're like, so – like what's your, a lot of people know local, not, you know, sports or whatever their, their hometown or team or whatever, wherever they're working. But like, how's your knowledge like to be able to do sports center? I'm like, I go five deep on like the Arizona D-backs <laughs> starting staff because I do a betting show. So I already know like everything that, or I, what I think at least people's names and stuff, because in Vegas, you actually are already doing a national show if you're in the betting space. They were like, oh yeah, that's a good point. Huh? You're not just doing your local AAA affiliate. I'm like, no, nah, I don't even cover their highlights. So so we ended up getting hired and it was great. And then as, you know, the tenure went on, there was a lot of, um, you know, because SportsCenter stopped doing 16 hours of live SportsCenter a day. So they needed to trim the roster a little bit. We had layoffs. And the Vegas background, I found out, ended up helping me because they knew that they were going to need to do some form of betting content as it grew. Now, they weren't positive the Supreme Court ruling would go that way, but just something had to change in the TV world. And they knew I had this, A, ESPN training and on-air broadcast training, but also like the the Vegas background. So that was part of the, you know, survival, if you will. Yeah, I, uh, I too, am a fan of combining pleasure trips with business. So good job uh, <laughs> flying out for a wedding and then eventually getting the gig with Disney, a.k.a. ESPN. Um, talk to us about uh, Daily Wager and how that came to be, because obviously I would imagine most of our listeners follow that show, watch that show, see it on ESPN. Uh, talk to us how that got started and maybe the internal um, debates at ESPN and like how much we they were interested in doing that. Did you have to pitch them hard on getting that going? Like just talk to us about the genesis of that show. Yeah, it's, it's almost like three things were going on. And so like I'm only part of the story. So basically, obviously the executives were envisioning some form of content and they'd kicked around idea of like back then we were doing 7 p.m. sports centers. I was actually hosting it or in the rotation of a few people who could host solo sports center for two hours. And then co- there was a co-anchoring from nine to 11. And then like the 11 o'clock would move over from ESPN two or ESPN news over to ESPN one. And that's where like Butchergrass, Van Pelt and all those guys would do their sports center. So the nine were like the next tier. And then the seven was just this crazy two hour show, solo sports centered on ESPN news. So there was talk of maybe making that sort of like, a red zone of fantasy and betting, but mostly fantasy at the time, because we're talking like 2016 or so, 18, before the Supreme Court ruling. And so there was talk of just doing something different, um, opposite of games. And so there is there was an NBA uh, venture. I forget, it was only like eight shows. We They still did for so long. I, I think it was called Coast to Coast or something like that. And it was just normal. They had been doing it for 10 years or so, but it was like a red zone-y kind of feel. 
So it's like, oh, could we do it very stat-driven or fantasy-driven? But it's like, is there a fantasy demand outside of football? Like, not at the time, no. I mean, you could do some NBA stuff, but there's such a gambling that would be great, like, you know, end of games. Do, But we just weren't there as a network, but we also weren't there as a um, viewing public. And so what I did was start the pivot, and some and a couple executives, Rob King, had the, was uh, running things on that, at least that side at the time. And, you know, he's like, and I knew him a little bit. And he's like, hey, what do you think about just doing betting and you know, things like that. So I started basically doing both roles. I started writing content for ESPN.com's chalk section. And then I'm thinking this is 2000, yeah, 2017, because it was the year Tua became this full-time starter, because this was like the uh, my, uh, my, my Trojan horse, if you will. So I gave up college game day radio, which was like, it, when you get to ESPN, you get sort of thrown to the wolves and you get spread out a bunch of, net, bunch of platforms and shows, and then it's, you have to find your home, so to speak. And so I hadn't really found a home yet. I was this versatile Swiss Army guy. You know, it's great. You told me goes back to if people are only working. Yeah, if people are working five day shifts on a seven day work week company, then that's great. You're like a different Tetris piece. And seriously, like I was doing women's raps, what's called so like half times of like WNBA or college basketball. Then I was doing Sports Center solo two days a week. Then I was doing baseball tonight some nights. And so I was just like so stretched thin, but it was great. I was this, you know, the utility guy to your point. And so. I finally found a home that was college game day on radio. It was great. Seven hours every Saturday, noon Eastern, 7 p.m. We'd go on to venues like five trips a year, be outside of stadiums or not quite like the TV version, but it was basically red zone for radio, college football all day Saturday. And it was great. Huge demand, huge product, front line. It was finally I had found a home. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to give this up to go do 90 seconds of Sports Center Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings. And... But I was like, if this is actually a thing, like I kind of have to commit to it. Um, so I gave it up. Like, I walked away from this shift I'd done, I think, four or five years. I loved it. So it must have been like four years, four years. So I loved it. And um, I did like a betting segment for like a minute and a half Saturday mornings on SportsCenter, like opposite game day. It was probably like 1030 a.m. But it was funny because that was the year. So I joked about uh, the Bama, the Tua thing. So that was when Alabama covered their first half 10 straight times to begin the season. And I was able to go do picks and explain. And obviously, if you're talking about, I don't know, Kent State covering the first half, 10 straight games, <laughs> doesn't really move the needle a whole lot. But you're like, hey, I got fresh Bama content. Sports Center, are you interested? They're like, oh, yeah. Because because that was the year after two had thrown the game-winning pass, Devontae Smith, uh, to come in and replace Hurts in the, in the overtime of, against Georgia. So two is the starter. Saban's got to spread off, all this stuff. So it was fresh content. And they wanted betting, but they wanted 90 seconds of betting, which was fine. We weren't, you know, the Supreme Court ruling hadn't happened. So I was writing content, I was doing stuff, I was hosting the podcast, I think by that time, the behind the bets at the time. So we were, I was starting to transition into this sort of insider role, and then we thought about launching a show anyway, and then the Supreme Court ruling happened, and so already the executives were like, could we do this? Now, we are a league par- partner, right? So there's an element of, is the NFL okay with it? You know, there's, I mean, just to pulled back the curtain a little bit and you guys know this but maybe the listeners don't so like pro football talk they're not officially an nfl partner because that's they're called pro football talk not nfl talk like we have nfl live we have literally the nfl shield on the front of the set we pay them for that we pay them we have to pay fees to run nfl highlights in our shows right we have to pay fees to run nfl highlights in dot com and there's all these contracts and lawyers you can only do it for 48 hours and it's no more than 30 seconds each clip or whatever it is in the NBA, right? The NBA, 
negotiation with TNT and us and maybe some others. And that's why there's Amazon on Thursdays and all this other. So all this is, but like, we have all this video. So we can't just say, hey, we're running a gambling show. Like you have to, and, and we have to get video approval, right? Because when we launched, ultimately, we didn't have much video at all. So we had to, whenever the contracts were up, we negotiated part of that and things like that. So it took time to get to where we are now. But when we started, it's like, can we do this? Because remember, like, Colin Coward and Chad Millman used to do some segments, but they were all, like, whiteboard segments, which is all, like, dry, it was all, like, cartoonish, right? Or they had signs on the set. I mean, they literally could not run video, and the graphics always have to say Green Bay. They can't say the Packers. And just little things like that. So we've come a long way. But all this stuff you have to pay for. It's, um, you know, uh, what is it? It's a, a intellectual property stuff, right? Like even their mm-hmm. logos and all that, yep. all those things. So when you work at ESPN, you are a league partner. Now, when there's things that happen that are really serious stuff, like really, you know, we have outside the lines, we have investigative reporters that can do it in the sort of a branch of the company, but it's not like they can control what we write, right? So it's just like a partnership, so to speak. And... I was, you know, I, I went in and met with certain people because I was, again, you know, you're like in survival mode, but I met with the right people on ESPN Plus and then some people pretty high up. Like I, I met with Skipper, our former president, then I met with Pitaro and then I was like, we can do this. I'm like, look, we're at ESPN. We can do content pretty well. I think, I think we've got that figured out in this company. Like we can do shows. Uh, and they're like, all right. So like, so I had to write like a one page, a two page, you know, some hear my thoughts. You guys go do with it what you want, but like, this is how it would look. And to be fair, I actually, you know, we all were immersed in the space, but there's a lot of people who don't bet and maybe they're executives at ESPN or whatever. And they're like, what's a gambling show look like? Is it monkeys throwing darts, flipping coins? Like, what is it? They don't know that you could have done a sports center flavored show about betting. Again, think about the stigma that existed. Think about Vegas. I mean, even at the time I used to argue with people because Vegas would like residents or people who grew up here would get so defensive. And be like, why? I'm like, well, you can't have a marketing campaign that says what happens here stays here that literally flashes on those rotating billboards behind the home plate at baseball games and the commercials that say what happens, you know, and, and brand yourself as this debaucherous city and then get offended when people assume that you are a debaucherous city. You can't have it both ways, right? So if you're going to spin everything that this way and gambling's crazy, then I'm sorry, a league that's multi-billion dollars is not going to just roll the dice with their company because you want it, you know. So there was a fact-finding mission on the league's uh, part that I thought I give them a lot of credit for. And, it's, and also it used to be an executive. So we kind of did some demos. And it was like, they're like, this is basically sports center meets like fan. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's all it is. It's like you do a setup like, oh, like Tom Brady's 38 and 5 against the Jets or whatever it is. And he's happened to cover 25 of them. I mean, it's, it's, it's news and information. That's all of it. It's another analytic. And then if you pick games, it's not really that different than when Countdown does picks or whatever. Yeah, you don't have the point spread. But if you do it tastefully, we're wearing blazers or whatever. I think there was an element of polish on our end and things like that that did things tastefully and maturely. Like our demos were really good. Like we did once we decided to launch the show and all that, we did like a month of rehearsals. Like two weeks out, this is like this is actually a pretty good show. And then we actually nailed all of our picks. Too. That was the funny thing. We were like 30 and five. We were like, oh, my God, why can't we be live now? Um, but like, I remember, uh, Jimmy Pitaro was like, this show's like ready for ESPN two right away. Cause we started on ESPN news and it took time to kind of get to where we are, but it basically was the sports center version of, of betting. And you, I think what we were trying to do is create just like another arm of ESPN, right? So you had baseball, you had football, you know, 
So if this was the sports center version of this arm, what's going to be the baseball? You know, so you have to kind of figure out what these other uh, derivatives are. But I think it was all going on. I think they envisioned something. I helped kind of tangibly like write out or explain how it could look. And I think they did some recon or whatever, data search or whatever, um, to figure out that this had potential at ESPN, at least to not rub leagues the wrong way, but also drive ratings or at least be something that we needed to, a space we needed to enter in in some capacity. Yeah, that's 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 super interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it, se- it sounds like people wanted to do it, but they kind of needed like an usher, someone like you who who can kind of wrap a bow on it and be like, this is how it can be packaged and delivered here. Let me show you. Um, and, you know, obviously, I think your your background in Vegas, I think, probably played a, a immense role um, in preparing you uh, for, for that. Um so uh, you mentioned earlier you are a sports better yourself. Fox had launched their show. Yeah, Fox had sort of launched their show, so they saw a version yeah, of it. So it's like, okay, well, even as silly as this is, or whatever is differently as this is like sort of around the horn vibe. They're like, at least it's got normal yeah. graphics on the screen or whatever. You know, like it gave them something at us, somewhat of a starting point. Although we had done some stuff separately, I think behind the scenes, like demos and things like that. So sorry to interrupt you. No, it's fine. And, but, and, and I think it was smart to package it as a sports center type show versus a like first take type, type show where people yell at each other uh, about, about, you know, what the picks are versus kind of presenting it in a kind of cleaner format. Um, so uh, you mentioned earlier, you are a sports better yourself. Um, and uh, in 2021, you, you made some headlines uh, around the uh, the NFL draft, where uh, you made you won three hundred thousand uh, dollars on an NFL uh, draft prop. Um, walk us through how how you were able to to spot that value. Yeah. So basically, going back to my local days when I was interviewing all these sports betters, and then you start hanging out with people you you know sometimes meet through various work circles like the three of us have, and things like that. So I basically built sort of a, a network of contacts because you know we have an hour radio show to fill at midnight. Sometimes it's tough to get guests, and uh, we would tape some interviews, and then just over the time, you just get to and then you, you gravitate to people that maybe the same age or same you know sort of interest. So I made some friends throughout that process, just like anyone in any sort of work environment, um, some more than others, some sort of obviously just acquaintances. And then when I went to ESPN, I've been able to you know stay in touch with a few guys. Some would connect when they were in Manhattan or whatever. I'd go hang out with them in the city for a little bit. And then so I just basically maintained close friendship with a lot of people or at least a handful of people. So I got back to Vegas. It was like, oh, cool. I get to see my buddies again. And so one guy who I'd known for now two decades um, but, or not quite, but almost, but, um, you know, we had been, become friends and we were friends all the time, but then we started doing some things together, like whether it be, I don't want to call it like, you know, partnership, but yeah, I mean, it became like a partnership on something. You just sort of work in circles. Um, like somebody's strength, maybe this, and you'll talk like that day, like, Hey, I, okay. Like, what about this? And then we'll like partner up. So the draft is something where you really want to sort of combine and aggregate information. Now, it just so happens, uh, one, one of my buddies, I and mean, he's a pro better too, but think if like Todd McShay was a pro better on the side. Um, and, oh, but like, so it's like his one passion is draft. He literally like watches YouTube videos starting in like February. Well, actually, it probably started in December, and he's like all about the draft. So I, the reason I say McShay is he's literally like watching film and doing his own scouting and has his own big boards and he's doing this for 15 years. So he's basically saying like, I know this guy's a riser. 
they just haven't probably talked about it yet because the draft demand at ESPN, whatever, you know. And he literally is like projecting all these guys. Like this year, the big story was all the quarterbacks falling. A week out, he's like, I'm not seeing it. I think all these guys are going to like fall. He's like, they're not even first round talents. And so he was betting over like five and a half on some of these guys. And like, obviously, there was only like one, what, one QB in the first two rounds. But he sniffed it out. He just says it doesn't feel right. He felt he sniffed out the Trey Lance thing. He's like, it's a copycat league. Everyone's about Mahomes. He's like, I just know how these GMs work. They're this. He's like, I just think this, this, this feels like Trey Lance, the, the trade up. And remember, Trey Lance didn't show up till Monday. But he was ahead of the curve on a lot of this stuff. Um, like this year, he was ahead of the curve on Trayvon Walker. So he just he's like he's like Walker. He's like there's too much buzz. Hutchinson doesn't feel right um, or whatever. So you you get a sense of these things. Now he doesn't have any sources like these insiders do. But when you do this stuff, he literally lives and breathes this stuff. Um, and so he's and then he happens to be a pro better on the side, so he understands all the math and the language. And all, a lot of these books were putting up props like in February. So he had already bet a bunch of stuff. So we were talking like a couple weeks out. And a week out, he's like, hey, there's a guy, Tyson Campbell, who's climbing draft boards. Uh, Circa just, you know, opened his over-under at 62 and a half, I believe it was, because that's what, end of the second round would be 64. He's like, it's insane. He might even go, like, top of the second. Like, I've pounded the under bunch. Uh, you might want to talk about that on the show. And I did. So I'm like, whoever this guy? you know, Tyson Campbell, right? And so before I talked about it on the show, I'm like, who is this guy, right? So I did some background. I was like, oh, he's a Georgia corner stud, whatever. And so over the weekend, I started, you know, you're reading more blogs. I have a Monday, I had a draft pod I did with Kuiper. And so I'm pretty immersed in it within a week out and talking to him and betting, made the, making some bets that I already had. And so I see some guys at like CBS Sportsline and some other places are saying like, oh, Tyson Campbell's climbing. He's as high as second, early second round. I'm like, I heard this a week ago. And then you're hearing late first buzz. And so I don't think much of it because the top – 10 is so much easier to forecast than the bottom 10 of the draft, right? It's bottom 10. It's like, do you take best player available, position of need, and so much. It's like any fantasy draft, right? The first five picks are easier Mm -hmm. to forecast than the third and fourth round. You just don't know what's going to happen. And then there's a run of a certain position, right? And then you just have to maybe reach for a tight end or reach for a quarterback in in some of those fantasy drafts. Well, the similar stuff happens at the end of the first, like the running back uh, is always like kind of a wild card. Like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went the year before was the the surprise first pick. And then the next year, I forget who it was, but there's always like Swift, I think, was supposed to go one. Anyways, so Monday night, I'm literally chilling in bed and I was like, you know, going to bed early or something. And then I'm going through a lot of these apps and it's just so tedious. Uh, So we don't have, we can't really use websites. These books in Vegas don't have uh, uh, websites. You have to like scroll through these apps and it can just get pretty tedious. And I noticed on one of these index bets, which was at the MGM, because there's just pages and pages and some apps are better than the others. Some are just like so like crazy. The the, the yeah. orientation, no, no, no rhyme or reason for the order. Oh, and sometimes they're cur- in the current listing, like favorite, or they're like how they were entered, or they're like my favorites. The they're listed in alphabetical order of the city, like Atlanta, you know. But then Atlanta's not. It's just Falcons is the first one. You're like, <laughs> why the hell is the Falcons first? So they're in alphabetical order of the city, but just the team names are there. So you're like, all right, Packers. It's not in the P's and the G's. And then like, yeah. you have to do so many steps to figure stuff out. So this index bet of safety, MGM, had just T, well, it had the normal guys, Modric Woodard and some other guys. And then there's T Campbell. There's all these guys 100 to 1. And it's, you know, 90% of them I haven't heard of um, because it's safety. It's not quarterbacks, right? And then you, I see T Campbell. And I, for some reason, I had, still had Tyson Campbell at the top of my mind. I'm like, is that the same? 
guy, and I didn't even have Georgia next to his name. So I kind of figured it out um, that it was Tyson Campbell because then, you know, I knew enough that he had played like some rover safety role or whatever at times, which for Georgia. And I was like, this is, and it's funny because that day I did a pod with Kuiper asking a bunch of stuff and he knew it was a betting pod, obviously. So like the couple of these, like, and he was asked, cause I asked him like, what's the top D end? Or he's like, well, be careful. Some of these books, you know, list guys are during different positions, which we all knew that, but it was cool to have Kuiper mention that. And so there's always like gray area and it's not, there, there's obvious mistakes. And this is why I got all defensive after the fact. It wasn't like Trevor Lawrence was listed as a wide receiver, right? These like Circa had a couple guys that are linebackers or like pass rushers. Now they've changed a lot of that categorization, but some dudes played linebacker in college, but like for forecasting as a defensive end rusher and vice versa. So he was, I think what happened, and I never got an answer, but that's, I think what happened is they just put up the props like two months out. And I think one magazine or one website had him in the safety index because he projected as an NFL safety because he's taller. And so I think what happens once you put him in an index, you just didn't change it. And he was 100 to 1. You just never came back to it. So what happened is, and then recently, there's been a position shift in terms of importance. So obviously, we know the movie Blindside. That was sort of like the realization that left tackles were the second most highest paid on the team behind the quarterback. And then the last sort of decade, the past happy years, I would say even the last five, like wide receivers, right? Jamar Chase going ahead of a left tackle was a big thing. Penny Sewell and stuff. So the wide receivers and then corners, right? Like, so those are, the, those are the four positions. And depending on how good the corner is, maybe he goes ahead of wide receivers like Sauce Gardner this year, right? If he's a lockdown corner, we have guys like Jalen Ramsey and some of these, you know, Revis Island, I think, started this trend. It's like, well, if quarterbacks are so important and protecting the quarterback is so important, pass happy league, you need a stud wide receiver. And if there's no stud wide receivers, you need a lockdown corner. So then corners started to get more and more valuable the last handful of years. Well, there's a couple of positions that just are kind of like ordinary, right? Safety and linebacker and like guard, I think are all in that sort of same family, depending on your position of need and where you're drafting and all that stuff. So I think what happened, and so anyways, so I'm realizing that he's 100 to 1, and I'm thinking it should be like 25 to 1. Because, I mean, if he's top of the first round, but Mo Rig Woodard was like minus, I don't know, 250 or 350 to go to the Raiders at 18 or 19. And, and he was a, sa- so and like, he was well, a safety? Guy, I mean, I don't know. And he was a safety? True safety, yeah. So from TCU, right. So he's a stud safety that the Raiders supposedly needed and all that stuff. They were absolutely going to draft him. I'm like, well, obviously that front office has thrown some curveballs in recent years. And the other two guys were supposedly top of the second, which is where Campbell was sliding. A guy named Grant, I think, at UCF. And then another guy, I think Notre Dame guy, I'm not sure. So there was like two, and then after that drop off, they were like three to one, and then there was everybody was hundred to one. And so a lot of times this happens in like a lot of markets. If one market is moving, they like won't move the others because they're just lazy, don't think about it. So if a guy's over under at circa in a two way betting market is moving from sixty two and a half to forty six and a half, I think it moved to, then he's really like thirty five and a half. They should probably move him in some other indexes, even if it's from hundred to one to eighty one, right? Like even if he was in the corner index. Or whatever it is. But there's so few out there because, again, it wasn't the quarterback index or the head-to-head Trey Lance index, whatever it is. So, But we see that in other markets. Like Mike Trout may get scratched for the Angels. That money line will move. But, like, in theory, like Otani's whatever, total bases should go down if he has no protection of Mike Trout or whatever. Like, there should be a domino effect in a lot of other markets that sometimes get moved, sometimes don't. They just get a little sloppy or forgetful or lazy or just overwhelmed. So I was like, 
All right, so I looked at some other books, and at that time, Monday night, again, Thursday's a draft, and you take down the lines, I think Wednesday at noon or something. I think I think I looked at uh, William Hill had no safety index or anything, so I'm like, oh, yes. So, like, I basically was like, I got to go bet this now. Like, this thing ain't going to be around maybe in the morning. And it had been up for two months, so we were all asleep at the wheel. So don't give, you know, I get no credit for this. I just happened to, two months after, you know, finally beat, beat the clock. So I decided to, like, this needs to be bet now. So I basically, I, I go down to uh, Bellagio in that area and just bet it at the kiosk. And there's limitations in the kiosk. Uh, it's been effectually known as kiosk banging, but really... The, the 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 settings on the kiosk make you kiosk bang like you can't put more than a certain amount of money in there i think it's five hundred dollars and then also you can't get a ticket printed out that will pay more than 20 grand so if you have i don't know a thousand to one you can't just put a 500 hundred dollar bet on it you can't you have to so the most because what happens is there's humans in the back that are like printing out you know seeing these bets come across and it gives them time to adjust the odds so literally the protocol not that i would have put three thousand in there to bet on it at first but i was only allowed to do three hundred dollar tickets and two hundred dollar tickets and this took place over like an hour and a half because i'm like the more i think about it i'm like the more it's just like what's another thousand dollars yeah bachelor and i had there's been other bets over the years that i wish i did more on so to win a lot of money you either have to like hit a bunch of 20 to ones or hit one 100 to one and I was like, if this guy's climbing and it's only Monday, like, who knows? Maybe he's a top 25 pick, you know, or 20 pick. You know, I don't know this guy. He's Georgia, right? Like, there's other Georgia. The Georgia's a factory right now. And so over the course of like an hour and a half, I was able to get a lot. Now, eventually, they started at the very end, they started moving. It moved to 80 to 1, then 50 to 1. By the time I got to my car, it was 25 to 1. And by the time I got home, they had removed it completely. Now, the question is, why did they take forever? I have no idea. My buddy joked it's like Mission Impossible when like I was in you know came down the cable and like put stuff in his coffee and he had to go to the bathroom for an hour and a half like obviously that didn't happen but like I don't know why for an hour and a half they were like not moving the line but it's also like in this day and age so this is my question to you guys and this is what I said at the time people were like rolling their eyes I'm like no like for all we know they took like a ten thousand dollar bet on Mo Rig Woodard in New Jersey. I mean, they love tweeting about these big bets they take. For all I know, they were getting, like, no action, and they needed to lay it up. Because there are books, as you guys know, that will be, like, they'll tell their arbitrage or whatever, like, hey, we're looking for this side in the next hour or whatever, if you want to hit it, to balance their books, right? Like, why is it my job to know what they need? It's not, obviously. And they have 30 states or whatever it was at the time. And, again, maybe they took a huge bet to a big blackjack player that day who really wanted went to, from Texas who loves TCU or whatever. So for all I know, they wanted, I mean, how much money have we all thrown at 101 bets that never won? So they just thought it was, you know, burning money. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's so confusing about trying to figure out what's a mistake line and what's an actual line that they, that they want to take, to take action at. And it always seems it's like after the fact they get to say which, it, which is it, right? It's like after it won, they're able to say, yeah, uh, that, that was a mistake. It never should have been there. But if it had lost, they probably wouldn't have said anything. Of course, because again, so I've talked to people at other books, just having friends who are managers or odds makers. There's been like FBS, FCS lines that were like 50 points. I They said we've taken $900 bets because 1000 brings over a manager and have to swipe a card on LSU plus 50 against a bad team instead of minus 50. And there's people that like went down the list of tellers. 
bet it because on a lot of a lot of books at FBS FCS matchups post them Saturday morning. So they just went down Saturday morning, get lost in the crowd, betting it nine hundred dollars or whatever a million times, and and then they figured out it was human error, right? That they got somebody whoever entered that line entered it as a plus instead of a minus, and they tell the person we can pay you, and if we pay you. We, we have to pay you out of gaming, but you'll never be allowed to bet here, or we can refund the ticket. And they're like, I'll take my money. And they're like, all right, thanks. Here's your money. You're not welcome to betting. Like, those are egregious. So to your point, there are like, I don't know. It's just, I mean, it just is. Now, like I said, I thought it should have been about 25 to 1 or so um, if there's this heavy favor. But like I said earlier, like the end of the draft, the Raiders, like it was just a perfect storm of variables that went my way. But I mean, again, he ended up being like the ninth corner drafted. <laughs> like, it wasn't like, you know, he was first off the board or whatever. Yeah. Um, it was just funny. Like, people who don't know, someone's like, oh, inside information. I'm like, yeah. Well, like, top of the second round. That's inside information. Maybe uh, next, next time we need, we need, we need your, for your, uh, your draft friend on this, uh, on this podcast because uh, it sounds like he, he knows what he's doing. Well, it's, yeah, it's funny. Uh, so this year, I haven't, I've told some, like, a boss this and he just rolled his eyes. He's like, that would have, been disaster and i was like for, for you not for me <laughs> so a week and a half out he goes i think we have another tyson campbell i go come on i go come on um he goes dude <laughs> he goes there's a guy who could be number one in his position group who's 25 to one now it's not a mistake but he's like so linebacker he goes there's a linebacker who i think could go number one this is literally the previous tuesday so nine days out or sorry, a week and a half uh, over the, the second Tuesday before, mm-hmm. and he's like, this, he's "Like George has got Quay Walker, who kind of like has these like good." He basically explained to me why Quay Walker could be the first linebacker taken, and sure enough, within like five days, the guy's the betting favorite, and you know, he, he's it's perfect because he's Tyson Campbell's teammate. It would have been so funny if we hit it the second straight year. And it was, you know, another Georgia guy, another of those tweener positions, whether he's an edge rusher or linebacker or whatever. And he ended up being the first uh, linebacker taken in like 20th or something like that. It was, I would, oh man, we were so, I was so mad. I told him, he goes, he goes, I knew if I told you, you would have bet like 15 grand on it. So like, I didn't want to tell you. Because uh, <laughs> he was like 25 to one. Um, well, so we almost had it. But yeah, no, I've, I've actually thought he should get hired by one of the books as a consultant or whatever, because they're all like, oh, we can't bra- dra- booking the draft is so hard. It's because they don't put in the work. I mean, all he does is listen to every podcast. He literally DVRs every show, uh, whether it be NFL Network, ESPN. He, he just watches every show, SportsCenter, listens to the podcast and just takes all the information, reads a lot. And then as he applies his own perception and opinion on stuff and he does really well. Beautiful. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it was uh, it was it was great to hear your story, uh, and uh, hopefully we can uh, talk again soon. No, it was good to be with you guys. Congratulations on the launch of your pod. It's fun to chat this way. Obviously, we're long overdue. I know you guys have all moved on to different cities, but I imagine you'll be back in Vegas. I believe October, you guys will be back in town, so we'll have, we'll, we'll have to connect yeah. pretty soon. We'll, gra- we'll grab some drinks. All right, thanks, Doug. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Doug. And we are back. Uh, thank you to, again to Doug for, for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the interview. Uh, and so now it's time for our steak or swap. First up, 
We will be talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Currently, they are 10-1 to 1 at Sportsbooks to win the Super Bowl. Uh, I will go first. I am staking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, obviously, they did not look great on Sunday, but I think there are some contributing factors to that that uh, you will not see moving forward. Uh, obviously, number one, Mike Evans being suspended for a game, which I think there's been a lot more egregious things that have happened in the league uh, that did not result in suspensions. Um, he was already thrown out of of, of the game uh, where that that result that that originated from suspension. Uh, their, their other wide receiver, Chris Godwin, he's been hurt since week one and, and should be returning soon. So uh, I think a lot of people looked at the Bucks offense, you know, only scoring what twelve points and saying, you know, they're they're they're, they're done for. But I think getting Evans and Godwin back uh, will they'll. Brady will return to his to his usual form, um, but really I wanted to focus on the Bucks defense. Uh, right now they rank in they rank first in terms of points allowed and fourth in terms of yards allowed. Um, they do have a tough matchup this week Sunday night against the Chiefs, um, but I still think that's a winnable game. Obviously the the Chiefs didn't didn't look great on Sunday against the Colts, uh, and after the Chiefs game, their next three games are home versus the Falcons, at the Steelers, and at Carolina. Uh, all three teams with, I would say, below-average quarterbacks um, that I think this Bucks defense is going to feast on. So um, I'm going to use this this kind of poor showing on Sunday as an opportunity to to buy low on the Bucks. So I am staking the Bucks at ten to one. Yeah, I agree. I will also stake the Tampa Bay Bucks at ten to one. Um, I need no more evidence than Tom Brady breaking two tablets. Uh, last week to show me that um, he is as fired up as anyone and he is the obvious leader of Tampa Bay and then later on to that I'm of course being ironic here but it's it's interesting uh, his shirt wearing uh, on that he wore on Sunday of a chubby little teenager uh, clothing back in like you know when he was eight or nine years old um, not the best looking back then obviously a lot of people think he's very good looking now uh, just goes to show you're not ugly, you're just poor. Yeah, and, and not only was that a photo, but it said uh, greatness lasts forever. So uh, you know he's trying to say something there. I'm not. I'm not sure what. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I agreed. I agreed on all those things. And uh, I, I the other point I wanted to add was just that. You know, I think he was out, you know, he missed a bunch of training camp. Um, I'm sure at his age, he's probably not even participating as much as, as he used to. And so I think, um, you know, I think there's several offenses in this league that uh, are going to take a little bit to start clicking um, just because it just it's training camps are not what they used to be. The starters aren't playing so much in the preseason. So I think some of these offenses, once they get, you know, maybe five, six games under their belt, they're, they're going to start clicking more. So I, I would not use, you know, the first three games as, as, as a, as a great sample size. I think uh, there's, there's kind of more, more cohesion that that needs to happen. Um, The next team we are going to talk about uh, is the Cleveland Browns at 50 to one to win the Super Bowl. Luke, are you going to stake or swap the Browns? Yeah, I'm going to stake the Cleveland Browns. You can find them at 50 to 1 odds at DraftKings. They're about 35 to 1 or 40 to 1 at other books, so some value there without even having to play a game in the field. You, of course, can buy a bet on DraftKings at 50 to 1 and then post it for sale on PropSwap at 40 to 1. Immediately lock in profit if we can find you a buyer, and I think we would. 
Um, and then statistically speaking, first in rushing attack, they have the most yards on the ground in the league. They're sixth overall in terms of yardage. And I think the yardage versus points scored to me, I'm more focused on yardage because that's less fluky. I think people make a lot of uh, argument about how a team is in the red zone. Like I don't really like it's obviously relevant because that's what wins football games, but I just think it's random whether you get stuffed on your opposing team's 18 versus your own 35 yard line. Like I think that's just a random occurrence and certainly in such a small sample size of three games so far that we just um, it's a better barometer of success going on yardage offensively or defensively instead of points getting hung up on the scoreboard. Um, so first in rushing attack, sixth in yardage. Um, defense is penetrable. I'm actually shocked uh, at their defense. They haven't looked as strong as they thought they were going to look. Um, obviously, Miles Garrett leading that defensive line. So they need to pick it up on their defensive side of the ball. But I still think 50 to 1 is is a viable number. Um, if, you know, I think this is absolutely a team that could get down to 15 to one. Obviously we're all waiting for Deshaun Watson to come back. So I think when he does return, I think this team could definitely be a 15 to one football team. And then you're tripling your money on that 50 to one future. Uh, yeah, uh, agreed on the, on the kind of the yardage stat versus the, the, the point stat. Um, however, I'm going to swap the Browns, uh, and kind of for the points, uh, that you mentioned in in terms of the defense, um, you know, they're going to need that defense to, to kind of carry a lot of that weight while, before, before Deshaun comes back. Right. I I do not think that, uh, Jacoby Brissett, uh, can, can shoulder the, the weight of this team and, and get them to a, a position where, you know, Deshaun, you know, he's only going to have, what, five games, five, six games when he get, comes back. And, you know, if, if they have to run the table when he gets back, uh, you know, that's uh, they may be kind of left on the outside looking in in terms of the playoffs. And so, um, you know, the defense, uh, you know, I know we just talked about points, but right now they rank 23rd in terms of points allowed. But they're also middle of the pack in terms of uh, yardage allowed, ranking 15th. Uh, another stat I like is yards per play, uh, which I think kind of you know clears out some of the outliers. Uh, right now, again, they're kind of in the uh, in the, the bottom third, ranking 19th uh, in terms of opponents' yards uh, a play. So for me, it's it's that defense. And so if if the Browns can't hang can't hang their hat on on that defense, I just don't think uh, Brissett. Um, is, is going to be able to, to, to shoulder that load. I will say, though, that um, they do have a pretty favorable schedule coming up uh, against the Falcons, Chargers, and the Patriots, who, uh, you know, Mac Jones looks like he might be done for, for quite some time. Um, but also, but when I look at that division, though, I, I like the Ravens more, and I, and I kind of still like the Bengals more. Um, I think we talked about this last week. I'm, I'm not quite ready to, to give up on the Bengals, and so... Um, Right now, I, I I still just see the Browns as as the third best team in, in that division. So, um, I am going to swap the Browns. Um. So, but you know, once again, it was another kind of exciting football weekend uh, between college and and, and NFL. Um. And uh, we we thank Doug again for for joining us on the interview. We we hope you enjoy it. Uh, make sure to subscribe and leave a rating, and we will talk to you next week. 